two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair. Do you want to finally feel and live well with a thyroid condition? Then I want to welcome you to the Thyroid Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Showman. It's time to dive in. Do you get properly diagnosed and optimized treatment for your hypothyroidism? Should you see an endocrinologist or an integrative or holistic physician? And how are their approaches to treating you different? In this two-part special episode, we dive into how hypothyroidism is diagnosed and treated from two very different perspectives. In this part, we get an overview of the endocrinology side of hypothyroidism diagnosis and treatment from Dr. Gladys Palomino, an endocrinologist in practice in Southern California. Some people treat guidelines as kind of like the word of God and you follow the guidelines. Some people use guidelines as as kind of like a, a manual, a guideline. We also hear from Dr. Ernest Asamoa, an endocrinologist in practice in in Indianapolis. So for a start, I don't think endocrinologists can see all patients with thyroid disease in the country. We don't have enough endocrinologists to do that. As you'll hear, they agree on some aspects of hypothyroidism, but as is common in the endocrinology world, even they have some differences. This is part one of Two Roads Diverged, episode two of the Thyroid Deep Dive podcast. Getting properly diagnosed with hypothyroidism is essential. You can't be treated for what you or your doctor don't even know you have. And diagnosis almost always requires testing. But in the thyroid world, there is a lot of disagreement over which tests you need to diagnose and manage hypothyroidism and how to use those test results. Some doctors rely almost exclusively on the TSH test. That's the thyroid stimulating hormone test. Others feel that testing free thyroxin, free T4 and free T3 and thyroid peroxidase antibodies known as TPO is also important when diagnosing and managing hypothyroidism. Let's hear from Dr. Asamoa, whose approach to testing is representative of the majority of endocrinologists. So I stand with the ATA guidelines or the American Thyroid Association guidelines uh, because I'm a member of the ATA and I believe that science should drive the discussion rather than uh, subjective uh, measurement. And generally speaking, my take is that if you present to me with thyroid disease, I would like to do the full panel, which includes the autoantibodies or thyroid antibodies. One, it tells me to identify why you have hypothyroidism. And so if it's positive, it tells me you have autoimmune disease. So I, I would subscribe to further doing the antibodies initially is very critical. I also believe that TSH probably is the single most important test. Having said that, in certain conditions like pregnancy, we want to see the T4, especially when somebody we think needs to have good levels of T4 for the sake of the baby. T3 is not that critical in terms of management. Of course, when you're talking about hyperthyroidism, T3 is important, but for hypothyroidism, we really don't know how much T3 testing impacts the management. So in some situations, I would do the free T4 and very rarely maybe consider free T3. But for overall management, we believe that TSH is the major test that would help us. But it's a clinical call, and I am one of those doctors that I like to treat the patient uh, holistically, and I'm open to doing some tests that sometimes psychologically make the patients feel better. 
But if you ask me as a scientist, what is the best treatment or measurement tool for thyroid monitoring, I think TSH and to a certain degree free T4. Free T3 really, really has no real role in uh, monitoring and treating hypothyroidism. Dr. Gladys Palomino has a similar approach to testing. I always test the TSH and free T4, always. T3, sometimes I do. I usually do a free T3. And then with pregnancy, I do a total T4. So let me explain why that is. TSH and free T4, so free means it's not bound to any proteins. The T4 is not bound to any proteins in your blood. It's more of an indicator of the active hormone that's in your blood. Because when you are looking at total T4 as opposed to free T4, total T4 also measures the hormone that is bound to protein. And see, the proteins are increased. There is, there's a protein called thyroxine binding globulin for which the thyroid hormone binds onto. And that protein will go up and down depending on certain things. So for example, if you're on birth control pills, or if you're taking estrogen, your TBG or thyroxine binding globulin will go up and it's gonna show a spuriously elevated total T4. There are certain things that can affect that. So that's why I always get a TSH and free T4. Sometimes I get a free T3 if patients are not feeling well, and I want to see if that's a possibility that they don't don't have enough free T3. The other thing, too, is in pregnancy, I also order a total T4 in addition to the free T4 because in pregnancy, their estrogen levels are high and their thyroxine binding globulin is high, so their total T4 should also be high. In fact, it should be 1 to 1.6 times the upper limit of normal to make sure you're getting adequately replaced during pregnancy. So there is reason to get T3 and T4 levels. I also draw T3 levels when a patient is taking T3. Both doctors mentioned testing for antibodies. For the vast majority of people with hypothyroidism in the U.S., the condition is due to Hashimoto's thyroiditis, an inflammatory autoimmune disease that targets the thyroid gland. Surprisingly, however, for most endocrinologists, whether or not you have elevated thyroid antibodies, which is the test for Hashimoto's, doesn't actually affect how they treat your hypothyroidism. Here's Dr. Palomino sharing her thoughts. When someone has hypothyroidism, I always check an anti-TPO. And it doesn't really matter to me how high it is because if it's positive, it's positive. And the reason why I want to know if it's positive, because that tells me they have an autoimmune disease, which actually puts them at risk for other autoimmune diseases. If that patient has hypothyroidism and they have a positive anti-TPO, then I know if they have other problems later on that I have to look at autoimmune diseases. So it's not for me necessarily to be a function. It's for me to know where it's coming from, where their hypothyroidism is coming from, what is the cause of it, because that's going to help me be able to treat the patient better as a whole in the future in case anything else should come up. Dr. Asamoa explains why conventional endocrinologists don't typically use thyroid antibody test results in their treatment decisions or conduct repeat antibody tests. We have no evidence that doing thyroid antibodies really changes our management. I trained in England, and one of the professors told me that if you're doing a blood test, that is not going to change your management. You're wasting money, and I, I agree with that. Scientifically, it doesn't make sense to keep testing the antibody forever. So I think you need a baseline to just define the diagnosis. But going forward, I don't insist on testing them. If a patient wants to, I do, but it doesn't really change what we do. What do those blood tests tell us? Well, when it comes to the TSH test, there's what's known as a reference range for the results. It's typically running from around a TSH level of 0.5 to 4.5 or 5, depending on your lab. 
Levels above the cutoff are considered hypothyroid. Now, keep in mind that while it's often referred to as the normal range, patients know all too well that even if a TSH result is in that normal range, it can feel anything but normal to you. That's why some physicians work with a more narrow and targeted range where patients are optimized and actually feel better, Dr. Palomino explains. Each patient is a little bit different. You know, interestingly, older patients, they might feel more jittery or they might feel not well or feel more anxious or have inability to sleep. And of course, if they have osteoporosis, if they have any heart disease, you don't want their TSH too low because you could actually cause problems. You want those patients to run a little bit higher on their TSH. However, for younger people that have a full schedule, that have a full-time job and take care of their kids, when their TSH starts getting close to three, they notice that they can't function very well. They have all this fatigue. They can't do what they normally do. So those patients you want to get to a TSH are one or a little bit less than one. Obviously, the guidelines for pregnancy are 0.3 to 2.5. I mean, that's just the guidelines. And you just right. have to stick with that to make sure that you don't have any problems with your pregnancy. And then thyroid cancer, again, you really have to stick with those recommended ranges to prevent the recurrence of thyroid cancer. Everybody's a little bit different. And I have some patients that don't have heart disease, but they might feel that they get a little bit anxious or get palpitations when their TSH is too low, like one or less than 1.5. So they like to be between two and three. And then mm-hmm. again, I have some patients that feel excessively tired, have extreme constipation. When you've got a patient, you've got a TSH between 0.2.5 and 3. So everybody's a little bit different. As a physician, you kind of have to get a good history. You kind of have to see where they feel the best and then put them in that range as long as it's obviously within the, the correct range. You don't want them to be too hyper. Or you don't want them to be too hypo. So you want to have them within the normal range. But each person lies differently within that range. Yeah, And I think that's kind of like the art of it all. Exactly. One size does not fit all, right? One size does not fit all. Correct. Dr. Asamoah has a similar approach for his target TSH levels. Again, this is a very subjective in terms of number because nobody really knows what their perfect TSH is. Now, remember that physiologically, for you and I, if you test your TSH four times a day, morning, afternoon, evening, and night, you probably get four different numbers because there's a diurnal variation. So there is no magic TSH number. The question is how much variation can we tolerate? And so I would say for younger patients, we tend to keep the TSH on the low half of normal, and that is 4.5 to about 2 for younger patients. For older patients, you've got to be careful because there's evidence that even in the patient population that has no thyroid disease, when we are older, 70s, 80s, 90s, Low TSH actually has increased morbidity and mortality, even people, for people without thyroid disease. So if somebody's 90 years old or 90 years old comes with a TSH of, say, 6, for them, if they function, you probably shouldn't treat them, even though that, by definition, is outside of the range. So this is age-dependent, patient-dependent, but as a general rule, yes, if you're younger, I am open to keeping the TSH on the low side of normal, bearing in mind that even within that range, there may be variation. And then if you're older, because of risk of cardiac arrhythmias, and osteoporosis or osteopenia with excess thyroid hormone, you may have to be careful and potentially keep the TSH on the high side of normal. So that's kind of uh, a general rule that I tend to follow. Getting diagnosed is just the first step. Next comes treatment. Most endocrinologists start with levothyroxine, a synthetic form of the T4 hormone. That is the standard treatment for hypothyroidism. You may recognize the brand names Synthroid, Levoxyl, Unithroid, and Tyrosint. Here, Dr. Asamoah outlines his specific approach to getting patients on treatment. When I see a patient who presents with hypothyroidism, first I would like to find out what symptoms they have. 
I usually write them down. I would say most of the time they have multiple symptoms, some of which may be thyroid-related, some of which may not be. And then ask the patients to identify the top three symptoms they have. When you just identify two or three top symptoms, it makes it easier to focus on them. And also it's easier then to see whether these are thyroid-related or not. I would then go through the physiology of thyroid disease or hypothyroidism with them, try to explain it because prior to coming to see me, this patient would have had lots of information online about thyroid. And I would say sometimes misinformation about it. So I try to define what thyroid symptoms really are, especially when you're hypothyroid, which is what most of the time they are. And also try to tell them how the symptoms relate to the severity of the blood test or the disease. In that, somebody can come in with TSH of 6 or 10 or 12 and ask all the symptoms in the world, and then somebody will have a TSH of 25 and not have my symptoms. And I also try to emphasize that sometimes the symptoms are related to how high the TSH is. So if somebody with TSH of 50 may have more symptoms than somebody with 10. If they have not been on any thyroid hormone therapy at all, then my first option is to tell them that generally the recommendation is to use LT4 or levothyroxine and bring out the fact that we have generic versions and branded products. I also emphasize the fact that because of the narrow therapeutic index of levothyroxine as a whole, it's important that we get consistency in terms of supply or source of supply for manufacturing because there is a probability that just switching from one manufacturer to another, you may not get exactly what the label says. And it's so critical that we are consistent with the source of the product. In that regard, yeah. generic medications or levothyroxine may not be as consistent because the pharmacies may change suppliers with time. Whereas if it's a branded product, it's likely that the manufacturing is going to be coming from the same company, which then leads to consistency. I asked Dr. Palomino how she approaches a very common hypothyroidism treatment situation that occurs in thousands of doctors' offices every single day. One scenario that I'm sure you see on a pretty regular basis is usually a woman, because women are much more likely to have thyroid problems than men, comes in to see you. She's on a regular levothyroxine. Her GP or her primary care doctor has identified she's hypothyroid and given her some generic medication or just a, a levothyroxine, and her TSH is in the reference range, and she does not feel well. She's still got a laundry list of symptoms. She's brain fogged. She can't lose weight. She's tired. Her skin is dry. She's constipated. Her hair is thinning and shedding. What sort of process or steps do you take in order to help her get to a place where she's feeling better? First of all, what I do is I want to make sure that there isn't a reason behind that. Do you have a GI issue that you don't, you're don't, not absorbing? You know, are you having some other issues that is not helping you to absorb what you're taking? The other thing, too, is then I probably would switch them to something. And we'd maybe get their TSH a little bit lower so they get a little bit more thyroid hormone. We'd switch them to a, either a brand name, if they're on the levothyroxine, one of the brand names, or something like Tyrosent. And if they're still not feeling well, then we go down the line. I might try a little bit of T3. And then we might try a little bit of the desiccated. So I'm willing to open the door to any possible treatment just to get the patient feeling well, as long as we stay within an appropriate range. 
One thing many patients don't realize is that levothyroxine is not the only treatment available for hypothyroidism. There's also Cytomel, a synthetic form of the second thyroid hormone, T3, and that can be added to your levothyroxine treatment. Most patients who take T3 swear by it. Many endocrinologists, however, are not on board with the T3, T4 combination treatment. I was, however, encouraged to hear that they are becoming increasingly more open-minded. Do you ever see a role for combination therapy, T4 and T3? So adding, for example, Cytomel or generic T3 synthetic to a levothyroxine treatment? Yes, for some patients, that may be an option. Uh, this is actually a very controversial issue that almost all the thyroid organizations across the world deal with. And recently, there's been a call for large clinical trial or study to actually look into this more. There have been a number of studies over the years with moderate or small amount of po patient population looking at T4-T3 combination. And the results have been kind of mixed bags. Some of them have said there's a benefit. Others have come up with no real conclusive evidence that there's a benefit. In my clinical practice, I would say there is some patient that will say yes, or there are some patients that say they do feel better with T3, T4 combination, and others they'll say they don't. In my experience, the amount of T3 that I give, and I tend to give the synthetic T3, uh, lyotaronine or cytomel, from about 5 micrograms to 10 micrograms, I hardly go above 10. 5 is probably the dose that most people would need if they will get a benefit. And the patient population that I think do benefit are patients that come in with chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, there may be some benefit there. Patients who are depressed or antidepressants, they may also benefit there. So I find those patients tend to respond better than the general hypothyroid patients. So I am always open to trying that. And I tell them, if you feel better in a month or two or three, I'm open to keeping you on that. On the other hand, if you come back two months later or three months and so I don't see any difference at all, then I'll probably say, well, it's not worth staying on that medication if you're not seeing a difference. Here's Dr. Palomino talking about T4-T3 combination treatment. Yes, I do. And it depends on the patient. Again, I have some patients that still don't feel optimized on just the T4. And let's say their level is like 1.5 and they feel okay, but they don't feel 100% optimized. And let's say they get a little bit tired in the afternoon. The T3 is a little bit shorter acting and you could give them an extra boost of energy in the afternoon without pushing their TSH so low to out of range. Some of those patients do well in a little bit of T3. Some patients actually like having a combination of T3, T4. I always go by how patients feel. There was a study done in the New England Journal of Medicine years ago. They did Synthroid or a Levothyroxine versus Armor or a combination T3, T4. When they looked at EKGs and all these different parameters, it was actually all equal except for one thing. The one thing that wasn't equal was surveys. And some people felt better on the combination of T3, T4. I don't really know what that means, but my whole goal is to get people to feel better. So if they don't feel 100% better on the just a T4, I might add a T3 or give them a combination to get them feeling better. There's yet another treatment option, and it's the most controversial one of all, especially for endocrinologists. Natural desiccated thyroid drugs, drugs like Nature Thyroid, Armor Thyroid, WP Thyroid, and NP Thyroid are derived from the dried thyroid glands of pigs. These drugs have been prescribed and used for more than 100 years. And even though some patients will tell you that they can't live without it, natural thyroid does not have many fans among endocrinologists, as you'll hear from Dr. Asamoah. Now, when it comes to the so-called natural thyroid medication, HF thyroid, uh, amothyroid, and all that, 
I, again, go with the American Thyroid Association guidelines that say, well, we don't think there's any major role for this in thyroid hormone management. Why? Because the evidence says it doesn't really make much difference, but I would admit that some patients say they feel better on it, and they call it natural thyroid medication. I beg to differ on using the term natural because I always tell patients cocaine is natural, arsenic is natural, cyanide is natural. Natural doesn't equal good or safe. And so when you use the term natural, it becomes a sales pitch because even when you talk about amyl thyroid and nature thyroid, somebody has to make it in the lab. It's synthetic in a way. So it's not really truly natural, the way they call it. But we know it comes from animal extract and it has a higher level of T3 than what we normally give when we do T3, T4. Or if you give T4 alone, you're not getting the T3. So in a way, patients are getting what I call a stimulant with the so-called natural thyroid medicine. And of course, if they're tired and they get more T3, they may feel better. And patients equate feeling better to mean the product is better for me than the T4 alone. So again, I am open to using it because my take is that if I don't prescribe it, somebody else would. And that doctor or provider may not know about, much about it like I do. So I'd rather own it, I'd rather have patience on it so I can regulate it fairly well to prevent problems. Because unfortunately, when I've had patients come in on amothyroid or nature throat, they are always given more than they need. And I've had patients with atrial fibrillation or osteoporosis because of that. So I am willing to work with patients all the time and I'll keep them on it as long as it's safe. Because remember that the first tenet in medicine is do no harm. So yes, if you want to stay on it, I'm open to it. I will explain the whole thing to you knowing that it's not the ideal, but as long as there's no risk or harm, I am open to using it. But that is not the first option that I give to patients. My philosophy has always been that the best thyroid treatment for you is the one that safely works best for you. I was glad to hear Dr. Palomino echo this approach when discussing natural desiccated thyroid, and I want to point out that her approach is a departure from the conventional endocrinology perspective. This is where medicine becomes an art. You really have to go with the, how the patient feels because some patients do feel better on the desiccated T3, T4. The one thing you have to worry about desiccated T3, T4 is each batch is a little bit different, so you're going to have some variability. As long as my patients understand that they have variability, if they prefer it because they say that they feel better on it, I'll give it to them. And as long as their TSH range is appropriate, their TSH doesn't go too high or doesn't get too low, and we stay within where they're supposed to be, and if they're feeling well, I'm okay with it. Because that's my goal, is I want my patients to be functioning and making them feel well and making sure that they're getting on with their lives. If you are hypothyroid and your doctor has prescribed some form of thyroid hormone replacement medication, what next? Well, you need to take your medication correctly, as the doctors explain. So the main problem with thyroid pills is absorption. That is always the main issue. Are you absorbing it? Is it not sticking to your food or your vitamins? So if you want to be absolutely sure that you're absorbing it properly, it should be taken away from food. I always tell people at least an hour. I say given an hour to be absolutely sure. And I tell people, if you wanted to be sure on vitamins, take it four hours away from vitamins. And I don't really care if it's an hour before or an hour after the food or the vitamins, just as long as it's away from it so it's being absorbed by itself. The other thing, too, is you have to be careful if you are taking medications for stomach acidity. If you have gastroesophageal reflux disease and you're taking medications to decrease acidity because if you're decreasing your acidity of your stomach, you are not going to absorb this. So this is everything from antacids like calcium yes. or Tums yes. to proton pump inhibitors? Yes. Prilosec, Prevacid, yeah. all of these all drugs. Of you know, the other thing, too, that's very interesting that I just started seeing in the last couple of years is alkaline water. 
people are drinking more alkaline water. It's kind of a fad. You increase the, the pH of your blood, so everybody ah. drinks alkaline water. And what they do when doing the alkaline water is they also decrease the acidity of their stomach, and then they're not absorbing the thyroid either. So that's another threat trend that I'm seeing. Interesting. I have not heard yeah. that, and that's, yeah. that's a really interesting uh, observation. So don't uh-huh. take your thyroid pills with alkaline water, people, right? Yes, yes. Here's what Dr. Asamoah tells his patients about how to take their thyroid medicine. I also lay out the fact that taking the medicine should be also important in terms of consistency because we know that iron and calcium and some other elements in food do bind to thyroid hormones when they are in the stomach. With that said, we prefer taking the thyroid medication on an empty stomach, waiting at least half hour to an hour before patients eat. Or if they take it after the food, it has to be three to four hours, especially when there's calcium in the food they took. And so with that, most people tend to take it in the morning. They don't have to, but generally it's easier to take it in the morning, wait 30 to 60 minutes before they eat. So that is the general uh, recommendation for compliance or taking the medication. Then I throw in the third caveat, which is that certain conditions do affect absorption of these medications, like the pH of the stomach, some GI disorders, celiac disease being one of them, or malabsorption being another. So patients who have autoimmune diseases like celiac or Crohn's disease potentially could have absorption issue with thyroid hormone therapy. And so then it's important to choose medications that have least effect or are least impacted by these conditions. Initially, the discussion would again talk about medications, compliance, and other comorbid conditions that could all impact the medication or absorption. Then with that said, I would then say, okay, based on all the presentations, you have a choice because I don't believe in telling people that they, don't have, they have no choices. They have choices. They can choose to go generic or brand. Both doctors raised an important issue, absorption. Levothyroxine in particular does not work if you're not absorbing it. And there are many factors that can get in the way of absorption especially with tablets. In particular, there are ingredients added to your thyroid drugs called excipients, including things like lactose, acacia, gluten, and iodine, as well as colored dyes. There are also digestive conditions that can make it difficult to absorb levothyroxine tablets, as the doctors explain. I remember about 20 years ago, just when I started practicing in Indianapolis, a patient of mine, very nice guy, was on Synthroid and swore that anytime he took it, he had headaches. Within a few weeks, another lady on Synthroid said the same thing. And I really, at the time, didn't believe that. I said, well, I mean, unfortunately, I can't measure your symptoms, so I can't uh, have any tests for that, so I have to believe you. And at the time, I actually remember switching to Levoxyl. And guess what? Symptoms went away. They never had them again at the time. And I've also had patients, even on Synthroid or Levoxyl, complaining of symptoms, allergy, hives, headaches, just not feeling right. And I thought maybe that's the excipient. And I know that the 50 micrograms of all these other medications usually has uh, is colorless or dyeless. And so I've tried some of them on that. For one patient was on Levoxyl and was having uh, highs and symptoms just didn't make sense. So at the time, tyrosine wasn't on the market. So I actually went for the 50 microgram dose, which is white and has uh, no dye. And suddenly the symptoms went away. And so now, fortunately for us, since 10 years ago, so since uh, tyrosine, the capsule came out first, and then now the solution as well. I have really found that to be really my go-to. Anytime somebody comes in and says, well, I have had a reaction to the tablet, I tell them, I can tell you so far, I have not had a single patient react to the uh, tyrosine liquid or gel 
solution. And when I switch, they will take it and have none of those symptoms. Of all the medicines out there, doing the branded ones, at least Tyrosin, the latest uh, new brand on the market, has the most consistency in terms of less interference with other products or pH of the GI or other autoimmune conditions. And the fact that it has fewer additives or excipients. Dr. Palomino shared her thoughts about absorption problems. Usually when I have patients that come in to see me and they've been on levothyroxine or Synthroid and they've tried different doses and it's still not getting to the right where they're supposed to be in terms of their goal levels, then I start looking at other stuff. And one of the things that I notice with a lot of these people is they might, for example, have a GI problem that no one bothered to look at. And so those kind of patients do great on tyrosine and tyrosine salt. As a matter of fact, I just saw a patient two weeks ago who I was seeing for thyroid cancer. And she had been on a stable dose of Synthroid, and she came in to see me, and her, all of a sudden, her thyroid dose was out of control. And I said, what's going on with you that's new? And she said, well, I got recently diagnosed with gastroesophageal reflux disease. I got put on some medications for that. And right then, that was the reason. She's not absorbing very well. She wasn't doing that well on her Synthroid, so I put her on Tyrosin because I knew with her gastroesophageal reflux disease and with her getting on medications, it's going to decrease the pH of her stomach, of her stomach acid. She's not going to absorb her Synthroid very well. So she was a good candidate. I've also had patients that have come in, for example, I had this one lady, poor thing. She, has, she came in pregnant. She couldn't get her thyroid controlled. She'd been on the same dose of levothyroxine generic for years, and the endocrinologist she was seeing never took her off or tried anything different, and her TSH was markedly out of control, which was dangerous because she's pregnant, and so she came in for a second opinion, and I knew she was another one that probably was not absorbing very well. I switched her to tyrosine, and sure enough, within two months, we got her to goal. Another patient that has celiac disease or gluten insensitivity, they're another one. You know, they don't absorb very well. Their levels aren't stable, and they may have intermittent fluctuating levels. Patients that might be taking iron because of iron deficiency anemia, and they're on multiple vitamins, their vitamins prevent adequate absorption of their um, thyroid. So those are good patients that you can try tyrosine and tyrosine sole. And most of the time you're going to get excellent results when you do that, when you switch. Many hypothyroid patients are diagnosed by their primary care doctors, GPs, family doctors, even gynecologists, who then continue to manage the treatment. So I ask both doctors a question that I am always asked by thyroid patients. Do I really need to see an endocrinologist? And if so, when? So for a start, I don't think endocrinologists can see all patients with thyroid disease in the country. We don't have enough endocrinologists to do that. We are already overwhelmed. We are stretched with what we're doing. So I would not subscribe to the fact that all of them should see us because we can't just see them. There's just not enough uh, time. So that would mean that we need to probably educate our primary care doctors because coming from England to the U.S., I think if you have good general practice doctors, they really become the gatekeepers of healthcare. And if they know what they're doing, they actually will do a great job for the most part. I think if a patient has been treated by a primary care doctor and they are not feeling right, maybe in six months, one year, it may be appropriate to then refer them to endocrinologists, and then we will try and sort out. So in that point, I do agree that some of them need to be referred sooner than later, but not routinely. So if they respond well, they're doing fine, why cannot uh, the primary care doctor not continue? And they're allowed to. But if the patient is still complaining of symptoms six months later, a year later, two years later, it probably is time then to refer to an endocrinologist because I've had patients that don't only have thyroid disease, but they have other autoimmune conditions, and I can tease that apart. So that, that's where I would say we need to come in and help sort it out. 
I would probably definitely go see an endocrinologist. I mean, the thing that you have to understand is about, about doctors is they're all different walks of life and they're all different people. And there's studies that are out there, and the studies out there are supposed to be guidelines. They're guidelines to help us treat patients. But doctors treat studies a little bit differently. Some people treat guidelines as kind of like the word of God and you follow the guidelines. Some people use guidelines as, as kind of like a, a manual, a guideline, a manual, but you don't have to follow it exactly, but it's there to help you. So all doctors are a little bit different. So the ones that are more strict aren't going to be more flexible, but the ones that aren't so strict are going to be more flexible as long as you're within range and you're, as long as you're not doing anything that's going to harm you. So in my opinion, you should see an endocrinologist. If you think you have a thyroid problem, go see an endocrinologist because the GPs are not as aware of a lot of the nuances of hypothyroidism and the nuances of the different levels. And find one that you feel a connection with, that you feel you can trust. Before we finished our discussions, I asked both doctors if they had any other message to share with you. What I would recommend strongly, this is actually probably the biggest uh, message I want to leave for every listener, is American Thyroid Association is the premier source for thyroid disease management in this country. I know there's a lot of internet information, Google, there's all of that there, but you want science to lead it, and ATA has the world's best expert in terms of thyroid disease overall, hypothyroidism, thyroid cancer, hyperthyroidism, and we've got a site dedicated to patient information. We've got excellent physicians that are constantly providing up-to-date clinical information, research information on managing thyroid patients. So what I would advise people to do is go to the American Thyroid Association website and seek out patient educational material because all these questions we're talking about, we've got answers there. Just to learn more about your condition. So please reach out to the ATA website to get both information and also experts in your local area where you can actually connect with them to be able to give you the best care that you need. If you think you have a problem and you're not feeling well, you should take your body's advice and really kind of advocate for yourself and go out there and look for answers. Don't just ignore it because you could have an underlying thyroid problem and no one knows it, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's not being looked into. You should definitely trust your body. Trust what your body's telling you. I'd like to thank this episode's guests, Dr. Gladys Palomino and Dr. Ernest Asamoah. So now you've heard from the endocrinologists. Do you know yet which road you'll be taking in your hypothyroidism treatment? Be sure to listen to part two of this two-part series, Two Roads Diverged, to hear from several leading integrative physicians about their unique and very different approaches to diagnosis and management of hypothyroidism. It probably won't come as a surprise, but it's quite a departure compared to the endocrinology perspective. Don't forget that you'll find a full transcript of this podcast, as well as additional resources at the Thyroid Deep Dive website at www.thyroiddeepdive.com. This is Mary Showman, and I'm hoping you will live well and feel well every day.